Here we are, five years ago, I was living in Houston, Texas, and I hit a game-winning Grand Slam. And then five years ago, and one day later, that did not matter at all. Uh, it's just one of those things with recreational sports where it is, it's fun to talk about in that moment with friends and, you know, and the teammates that I had. And then as I was driving to work that next day, I realized there would be people who had 0% interest in what just happened. Um, and I do think about that where we have this kind of desire to be known for our great things that we've done, the deeds, the types of accomplishments that we have. Uh, one of the things you know I still keep is I put alligator wrestler on every resume I ever send out. Uh, I'm just I'm not going to let that one go. Um, but it's just that we have this drive to be known for things. We want to be accomplished. We're looking to leave a legacy. The things we do, we want them to be acknowledged, appreciated, always remembered. And I do think, as we look at the reason for that, is found right in the Bible, right at the beginning. Uh, when you look at Genesis, as we're created in God's image, um, we were told, hold dominion over the whole earth. Protect the garden. Uh, we're given you know, jobs to do by God, to walk in fellowship with Him. And then we have Eve. Protect her. Watch over her. But it doesn't last long, because sin entered the world. And right after sin happens, you can look at what God said as the curse that happens to man. This is Genesis 3, 17 through 19. God said to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. For you are dust and dust you shall return. And I just look at this as like the contrast where we have God's plan, God's ideal for what our lives were meant to be, and then the reality of falling short, the reality of dealing with the consequences of sin. Uh, one of the ways I describe this contrast is, is kind of as it looks, is where we're meant to live under God's way, longing for this achievement, longing to be great, because that is God's image. Um, God's holiness, glory, honor, you know, we have a part of that in us. We want to be the best, you know, achieve great tasks, to be known. But because of sin, I think oftentimes what we can settle for is just acknowledgement. Uh, it's just one of the ways I describe it is that we just settle where we may not achieve anything, but if we can be paid attention to for the things we have or the things we've done, uh, sometimes we don't actually do them ourselves. We can lie. We can steal. We just want to be recognized for something and the hope that that actually gives meaning. And so this is the struggle we're in. We're in the middle of this wanting an achievement and then sometimes just settling for something to be acknowledged for, something to be looked at. So I really think about this as what do we do with that? What are the things that we can set out to do in this life and how do we make our actions matter? So I use the word deeds because I really like how that has like some weight behind it. Um, sometimes you perform an action. It can go the way you intended or not intended. Uh, but then usually it's done. We don't think about the consequences of it. But if I think about performing a deed, I'm also thinking how it's going to be looked at by others and how it stands up over time. 
I mean, the definition, uh, dictionary definition for a deed, is that it's an action that's performed intentionally and consciously. They quote it as doing good deeds. I mean, so I'm going to propose here there are three deeds that we can do and continually need to do to achieve our best possible life, living up to God's ideal, to meet that drive we have in us. The first is repenting of our sin and surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ. Now, the famous quote that I used in the advertisement blurb for here is talking about, on your tombstone there are two dates, and what matters is the dash in between. But really, what is going to matter for eternity is after that end date. Um, we really only have the dash to make that and decide that outcome. And as we have our dash in between that date on our tombstones, really, as eternal beings, we're either spending eternity with Jesus or we aren't. And when I heard that tombstone quote, it was actually used in a song. Um, I mean, I listen to a lot of hip-hop music. Uh, and so he uses that quote, but then he adds these lyrics into it, which is, How will I be talked about when my time on earth exceeds? Will I be talked about, or will they talk about my deeds? Or will I even be worth talking about that often when I leave? I just hope and pray that there comes a day when I no longer breathe, that God knows my heart and what's inside of me. Will he remember my sins or my deeds? Now this same artist also has another um, song where he says, I became something I always said I wouldn't be. I've done things in this life that you wouldn't believe. But I went out of my way to help people in need, and I believe Jesus died for me so I could be free. What's the chances of heaven for me? And in that song, he also goes back and forth with the struggle that we have. I mean, he talks about his bad deeds. He talks about his good deeds. Um, but what I like is how, here's how he ends that song. I overcame everything the devil ever did to keep me in a bind. The chances of heaven are guaranteed when you're covered in the blood. Homie, I'm fine. And again, that's the little hip-hop part there. But as we just celebrated Easter, um, and Pastor Ron encouraged us, the idea is we can be celebrating Easter every day. Uh, with, with what Christ accomplished on the cross, that was the payment of our sins. We're no longer separated from God. We have salvation, relationship with God. Jesus' deeds change the world forever. And he changes our lives forever. But that's where I need to be reminded of that often. I mean, that's where this continual part of it as a deed that I need um, to accomplish is to surrender my life to Christ. And with that deed number one, um, there's two scriptures that I, I want to share with that too. So in James chapter 1, 22 through 25, he says, But don't just listen to God's words. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you, carefully, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. 
And in Matthew 25, there's a parable of the three servants, and I'm just going to summarize this here, um, where Jesus talks about this man going on a long trip. And he ends up giving to his servants, three different servants, three different amounts of money. And after the man returns, the first servant comes up to him and he had doubled the amount of money that was given to him. The second servant comes up and he had doubled the amount of money given to him. And so the man says to both of them, well done, my good and faithful servant. The third servant came up and because he was worried about losing that money, he had just buried it. And then he brings it back up and gives it back to the man, the exact same amount of money. And the man orders that that money be taken away from that third servant and given over to the first. And then the man says, To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. They will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And so I think with those two scriptures, what it does for us is it clearly states we must move beyond only having faith. There are more things for us to do than just simply come to accept Jesus Christ. So here's what I propose as our second deed. Men need to mentor other men and shape boys into men. So I use that term mentorship because while I do recognize discipleship is the most important, I mean that is our call as Christians, there are going to be many practical things about manhood, uh, opportunities that we have from jobs, coaching, other youth programs, where we will be connected to others and knowing that we are a Christian witness that whole time. Um, but it's an idea that we intentionally put ourselves in front of others uh, to help raise them up. I think we can all identify somebody we know that got older but never matured. I hope I'm not the person you're picturing right now. <laughs> but that is something we recognize and where that is. And I think one of the things that's lacking in order for that situation to happen, that somebody never matured, never became a more mature Christian, a better person, is because they didn't have somebody else investing in their lives. Uh, there's about a 10 year period for me in my life where I was a youth leader, a youth pastor, there are a lot of challenges and rewards with that. Uh, I do wonder a lot about what was the impact I had during that time. But I know I wouldn't have done any of those things had I not had solid Christian men investing in me. I mean, it's very interesting for me where I grew up in T, South Dakota as a small town, but I moved out to the Rapid City area in eighth grade and almost immediately got connected with friends whose dads were pastors, uncles as pastors, ministry leaders. In fact, few of them that are still doing ministry today in Rapid City. And what I was able to do with that friendship was get connected to these solid men who poured into my life. Uh, Christian Life Ministries has discipleship lay classes. I mean, these are things, if you want to look at taking how we should be living the Christian life further, I mean, these are solid education classes. I got to go through them as a sophomore in high school. I mean, it's just these things were built early into my life. 
Um, I got to hang out with pastors and ministry leaders, ask them questions, see how they lived their lives. And my youth pastor um, that I had growing up, I mean, he led us through multiple studies and then provided opportunities to serve others. I know I would not be the man I am without that investment in my life. Now, as a side note, sometimes my pride gets out a little bit. And again, going back to that wanting to be known for something, uh, I've often kind of thought it'd be nice to think if I could be known uh, or recognized for you know saying clever little phrases, some, some famous quotes uh, that I like to have. So one of the ones I say a lot is that if you put it in a book, I may read it. If you put it in a quote, I may repeat it. But if you put it in an action, I can do it. Now, I was actually quoted in a book, not for that quote, uh, but it's a friend of mine wrote uh, a book about being a youth leader for boys. And he recalls this conversation that we had where he had been frustrated over the amount of time he was preparing his lessons and then not seeing it really sink in with the kids. Particularly, the middle school boys didn't seem to be learning very much. Uh, And as we're talking in this conversation, what he quotes me saying is that I asked him, What specifically do you remember our youth pastor teaching us? And as he thought about it for a little bit, couldn't come up with a lot of details, I followed with the statement, you don't remember what Todd taught us, but you remember Todd. And it's the idea that that person invested his life in us, we got relationship with him, that even though I won't repeat words that he said to us, his character, the action that he showed of investing in me, is something that I took away and continue to do in my life. I mean, I got to be a youth leader in groups like Allies, Young Life, Lifelight, First Priority, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I was a youth pastor in Brandon, South Dakota, Sioux Falls, Minneapolis, St. Louis, San Antonio, Rapid City. Uh, All these opportunities to speak spiritual truths into the lives of youth. And I uh, I do wonder what they remember, but I hope that it grew their faith. But the other part of that is I knew it grew my faith. One of the things about being uh, a mentor and in order to do it successfully is that we need to first put ourselves in a spiritual place where God mentors us. I think that's one of the things that if you intentionally focus to be a mentor, if intentionally focus to discipleship others, we come up with an attitude, God teach me. And that, I think, is one of the more important parts and, and as a deed that we need to do Um, is put ourselves in that place where God is teaching us and then go seek to teach others. I think one of the greatest forms of mentorship and where we can start is a lot of us have had fatherhood. Um, I mean, I'm just getting started in it. I have a six-month-old at home. Um, But I know that it was my dad... Invest is he focused with me. I mean, I'm very grateful for my dad. That was something that also I wouldn't be the man I am today without him um, taking the time to try to learn to be a father right. And there's a lot of people out there. I mean, when we talk about the abortion that goes on, well, the other consequence is there's so many being born without a father. I mean, there are so many kids that won't have that experience, and it's just a question, 
can we be a person who might meet that need? So now the last deed I give us here, uh, the last deed that I would propose is giving. Become known as a giver. A pastor gave this illustration that I had heard, which is the difference between being a successful major league pitcher to those who don't last or don't really count at all is the most significant factor is not what type of pitch they can throw, how hard they can throw, but it's how good their control is. And your control is measured by the release of the grip. And I think when we look at it, Money is not the most mentioned topic in the Bible by accident. Uh, when we're looking at where we have control of our money, I think how often do we listen to God on releasing our grip of it? So if there would be one issue that does really go to the conditions of our heart, how we're trusting God in a moment, my money would be placed on it's how we treat money. So, here's another spoiler in our Move Pastor series, because uh, I'm going to quote from Mark ahead of where the sermon series is. It, it's just a little one. It's just a little one. Uh, so, Mark 12, 41 through 44. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. And then we'll do a recap from Mark 10 um, with the rich young ruler. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. And I think what these two passages here tell us, is not really about the amount it's about the person's heart towards giving. And if we give ourselves the chance to give, create the moments where we can look at our heart and attitudes towards giving. And I know there's a lot of people, and we've all been in church probably long enough or heard other you know, places, that a lot of times when giving is mentioned up, there's kind of promises attached to it. I mean, I can think of the fancy-suited TV preachers. Oh, if you give to our ministry, you know, God's going to come back in so many blessings, such and such. And some of them, I think, have pretty outlined formulas for that. Um, and there are a lot of other ministries that raise supports. I mean, we've been around places where that you hear this. And I think one of the times with that raising support, I often hear the idea of, well, God loves a cheerful giver. Um, I think we can go back history, and I got my degree in, in history and theology, I, the medieval times of indulgences. I mean, then these guys would go around and preach what that was. Some of them had catchphrases, which is, as the coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. I, there's these times that these promises that get attached into giving um, really aren't the best of what should be about in that attitude of giving. So I'm going to say, I'm not going to promise anything in regards to the outcome regarding giving. 
I just see that we're not supposed to live this life without giving. And I know that Jesus sees us as we give and examines our motives. I think giving is an exercise that helps us release our grip on our money and so that will not become in control of us. Uh, I'm going to do another little summary from Matthew 25. And this is the part where he talks the separating of the sheep from the goats. So the Son of Man will be seated on his throne, and all the nations will be gathered there. He will separate the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And the righteous ones will ask, Lord, when did we ever see you like that? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did these things for the least of these, you were doing it for me. To the ones on the left, the king says, These are all the things you didn't do for me. And they reply, But when did we ever see you like that? And he answers them, When you refused to help the least of these, you refused me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, and the righteous will go into eternal life. So I think that passage should bring up a whole new emphasis for how we should treat giving. And how we treat others. So I would say let's pray for the opportunities to give to those in need around us. And it may not just be money. uh, But we do need to be in the habit of giving money. Because the only reason we have it is God gave it all to us in the first place. It's just following his example. I think if we focus on doing those three deeds. Surrendering our lives to Christ. Mentoring other men and giving, we will be leaving a legacy, pursuing how God created that drive to accomplish great things in us. Those are worthy deeds.